You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, for episode 127 of season 3, episode 192 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Today is Sunday, August 15th, 2021. Today we're going to talk about the Taliban retaking, reconquering Afghanistan. Reports that I'm seeing this morning say that Kabul is surrounded and is being entered by Taliban fighters. I watched some various videos on YouTube released within the past half hour, mostly from India, but also from some various other outlets of the BBC, for instance, outlining what the situation is. And one video supposedly featured an Afghan uh, military commander surrendering an entire brigade to the Taliban, vehicles, weapons, everything. And so the statement from Afghan government officials is that they are preparing for a peaceful transition of power from their government to the Taliban. Once more, the whole country now will be in Taliban control again, as it was 20 years ago and before the American invasion and the toppling in rapid succession of city after city. We have seen now in the past month the Taliban retake the entire country, and now it looks as though the capital city of Afghanistan has fallen. And the headline at Blaze Media, theblaze.com, I'll include a link in the podcast description, states from yesterday, Paul Saka, Biden blames Trump in statement on Afghanistan, deploys 5,000 U.S. troops to evacuate personnel as Taliban march toward Kabul. Well, that's a little bit outdated already. They're not just marching toward Kabul. They have the city surrounded and are entering it, according to reports from India. Afghanistan is fallen. I'll read for you a little bit of this piece from Paul Saka, published yesterday at The Blaze, and then I'll share some thoughts with you from my own sphere of experience and understanding on this. Quote, President Joe Biden, who is on a scheduled vacation at Camp David, issued a statement Saturday afternoon regarding the deteriorating situation in Afghanistan. Biden announced he would deploy 5,000 U.S. troops to Afghanistan to evacuate personnel as the Taliban marches toward Kabul. Over our country's 20 years at war in Afghanistan, America has sent its finest young men and women investing nearly $1 trillion, trained over 300,000 Afghan soldiers and police, and equipped them with state-of-the-art military equipment, maintaining their air force as part of the longest war in U.S. history, Biden said in the update on the tumultuous withdrawal. He then defended his withdrawal from Afghanistan that was initiated by former President Donald Trump. Quote, 
one more year or five more years of U.S. military presence would not have made a difference if the Afghan military cannot or will not hold its own country. And an endless American presence in the middle of another country's civil conflict was not acceptable to me, end quote. Quote, when I came to office, I inherited a deal cut by my predecessor, which he invited the Taliban to discuss at Camp David on the eve of 9-11 of 2019, that left the Taliban in the strongest position militarily since 2001 and imposed a May 1st, 2021 deadline on U.S. forces, end quote. Biden claimed, placing blame on Trump. Quote, shortly before he left office, he also drew U.S. forces down to a bare minimum of 2,500, end quote. Biden continued. Quote, therefore, when I became president, I faced a choice. Follow through on the deal with a brief extension to get our forces and our allies' forces out safely, or ramp up our presence and send more American troops to fight once again in another country's civil conflict. I was the fourth president to preside over an American troop presence in Afghanistan. Two Republicans, two Democrats. I would not and will not pass this war on to a fifth, end quote. Biden who was scheduled to be at Camp David until Wednesday, had planned on withdrawing from Afghanistan on August 31st, but the speed at which the Taliban has captured provinces and major cities has muddied the waters. The Taliban has conquered Herat, Kandahar, and Mazar-e-Sharif, the country's second, third, and fourth largest cities. The Taliban control about 24 of Afghanistan's 34 provinces, according to the Associated Press. The Taliban captured all of Logar, province on Saturday, which is about 50 miles south of Kabul. Local reports say the radical Islamist group has reached the Char Azyap district only seven miles south of the, of the Afghan capital. Despite the withdrawal and the Taliban rampaging across the Middle Eastern country, Biden warned the fundamentalist Islamist group, quote, that any action on their part on the ground in Afghanistan that puts U.S. personnel or our mission at risk there will be met with a swift and strong U.S. military response, end quote. A U.S. official informed Reuters that the 5,000 troops designated to assist the evacuations include 3,000 troops already approved, 1,000 that are already in Kabul, and 1,000 newly approved troops from the 82nd Airborne. And that is actually the entirety of the piece by Paul Saka, published yesterday. I was going to read you a selection, but went ahead and read the entire thing for you. The sad thing about this is that he has a point. The Afghan military, the Afghan army, Afghan police forces, very much like Iraq's military and police forces when we pulled out of Iraq, are not the same as having American forces there. They're just not. This isn't a question of tech. To anyone who says that America is what America is just because we have better weapons, better technology, etc., etc., it just ain't so. Put the exact same equipment in the hands of an Afghani or an Iraqi and then have the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or ISIS the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, coming to take their city, take their province, and see what happens. Well, we know what happens from recent years of televised images, photographs, 
news reports, what happens is that that tech, that hardware is useless. It just is. It's useless in the hands of men who are useless, who are cowards. And it isn't just men because a single man, regardless of what you saw in Rambo, a single man does not an army make. You need an esprit de corps. And that army, that police force, has to have a reason for fighting. They have to have something in their minds which is worth fighting and dying and killing for to defend. And if they don't believe that what it is that they might die for, they might kill for, is actually worth dying and killing for and fighting for, they're going to fold. And so they have. We were the steel in their spine so long as we were present. Our withdrawal is also, in effect, the invertebratization of these paper tigers, these forces which, whatever uniform they might wear for a time, they will quickly discard at the first sign of trouble. And it's sad. It's unfortunate. The whole nation-building scheme in Iraq and Afghanistan was foolhardy. And it presumed a secular approach to what makes America the way that America is. America is not America because we have the voting machines, because we have procedures in place to carry out an election, which, by the way, in 2020, we completely invalidated what it is that we stand for, supposedly. I mean, forget bringing democracy to Afghanistan or Iraq. We don't even keep democracy here at home. We have a republic with laws. We're supposed to be a nation of laws. And yet all of our election laws and safeguards, safeguards against fraud, because human nature being what it is, you can expect that if there is a lot to be gained or lost in an election, unscrupulous men will cheat to try and win and not lose that election. We bypassed all of the safeguards, and this is the consequence. Elections have consequences, and Biden winning the election by fraud in 2020 is the cause for what we see now in Afghanistan. Now, it's conjecture, it's speculation, but I personally don't believe that this would be playing out the way that it is on our TV screens if Trump were still in the White House. I could be wrong. I was very disappointed with how he abandoned the Kurds to the mercies or lack thereof of Erdogan in Turkey after they had fought side by side with us against ISIS. I was very disappointed to see us turn our backs on allies in the Middle East when we were done with them, when we thought we had more to gain from selling them out than bringing them home or having their back, even though that was for a time. And then we quickly, 
after a period of days, weeks, told Turkey, that's enough, knock it off. By then, the trust has already been broken. The damage has been done. You can't pretend that you didn't know this was going to happen. This was not only foreseeable, it was foreseen. The same goes with Afghanistan. Our withdrawal in the way, in the manner in which we withdrew from Afghanistan had these ends in view from the beginning. And that's why if the Taliban was going to not abide by the terms, there should have been a pushing back, not waiting until they've entered Kabul, the last city, and now we make a press release, a press statement from our vacation and blame our predecessor. That's not leading. That's not leadership. That is not taking ownership. That is weak sauce. But Biden has a point. If the Afghan military and police forces weren't going to stand up, now they weren't going to stand up ever. And this is because they don't really believe in what it is that they were trained and equipped to fight and die for, to kill for if necessary. They don't really believe in it. Why should they believe in it? Why should they fight the Taliban for Afghanistan to hold on to it? What's my motivation? The actor says to the director. What's my motivation? You're not selling it. But the secular presumption is that you just add water. <laughs> this is like a ready mix you buy from the store. Democracy, Western style, mix in bowl, just add water, bake for 30 minutes, and voila, Afghanistan will be some Western pro-democracy country. Now, certainly there are people, there are men, women, and children in Afghanistan who want that, no doubt, but do they want it as much as the Taliban wants the country back for a fundamentalist, medievalist, Islamic state? And the short answer is no. No, they don't. And neither do we, apparently. We don't want Afghanistan to be a not-Islamic fundamentalist hellhole as much as we want to get our troops out, bring them home. I got into a back and forth, which is still ongoing on LinkedIn here in the past few days because I follow the chief marketing officer for Black Rifle Company, not Black Rifle Coffee Company, Black Rifle Company, their uh, contractor for the United States Defense Department. I think they work in intelligence gathering and security and things like that. But there was a share of an article about the Taliban closing in on Kabul and what this means for men, women, and children who were modernizing. They were getting with the program like we asked them to. Now what? Now what happens to them? What does the Taliban do to them? 
some of the images I see when I look at some of the news reports coming out of India, Australia, the BBC, is that the Taliban is telling everyone in Afghanistan to stay home, no need to flee the country, stay home, all are forgiven, everyone is forgiven. Well, takia, right? Takia. Can you trust that? No. Just like politicians in an unfortunately secular America can and do lie, politicians in an Islamic medievalist state can and do lie. So you can say all is forgiven, but at the end of the day, new offenses will be counted against you and judged severely. And there's a difference between the guy at the very top putting out this press release, all is forgiven, and what the rank and file are now going to do to everybody who was cooperating with the Americans. Translators, soldiers, police, government officials, scores will be settled. Vendettas will be avenged. And it's going to be a bloodbath. You know, whatever the Taliban PR firm wants to put out there, every report that I saw this morning said that they could hear gunfire in the distance. Now, is that gunfire just sporadic here and there because you have people killing themselves rather than falling into the hands of the Taliban? Is that gunfire sporadic because you have small pockets here and there of people who were just waiting for this moment to put a bullet in the head of somebody who they felt like had not been abiding by Sharia? That's my guess. That's my bet. Now, my personal connection with this is not such that I served in the armed forces of the United States of America, went overseas. But here's my background. September 11, 2001, I was 15 years old. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was 14. So I was about the same age as my oldest son. I was just a few months shy of my 15th birthday. Two months shy. Two months and some change or a little less than two months. And I come down the stairs of our house in Hillsboro, Ohio, 524 North High Street in Hillsboro, Ohio. And the TV is on. I believe it was the CBS Morning News. It might have been NBC, but it was usually CBS. And there are images of a smoking hole in the side of this skyscraper. And I didn't recognize it. I later learned that that was the World Trade Center. And breaking news, plane flies into the World Trade Center in New York City. And reports were still coming in. People weren't sure exactly what had caused this accident, if this was just some small plane that had flown in by accident, what was going on. So then I sit down and I'm watching this. And next thing you know, 
here comes the second airplane. And you can see it, and there's no mistaking, there's no way you have two planes fly into the same tower on accident. Now, I didn't know anything about Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, Afghanistan. I didn't know anything about any of that. I'm 14. I'm interested in science fiction, in fantasy novels, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars, and my Nintendo and my computer games. I didn't know anything about any of this. Didn't really care about politics. George W. Bush is president, and he seemed like he was okay. But over the following days, you find out who it was that did it and where they came from and where they were based out of. And our president at the time said in no uncertain terms, we're going to find the people who did this and we are going to bring them accountability. We are going to make them pay for this and we're going to make sure that they can't do any more of this. But in the meantime, the whole world changed. America changed. The whole world changed. All of a sudden, it wasn't so simple and straightforward for a common person, a common citizen of these United States to get on an airplane and fly from point A to point B. All the flights were grounded for a time, and that was weird to look up and to see nothing. No chemtrails, no <laughs> no jets, nothing in the skies. It was just odd. It was just eerie. And everybody was just very, very super serious and I didn't quite understand it because I thought to myself, well, we're America, right? What are some medievalist terrorists in Afghanistan going to do against America? We've got this. And so our military promptly goes in and we topple the Taliban because the Taliban is harboring Al-Qaeda. And there's some backstory there that is worth unpacking in a future episode, but suffice to say for right now, Al-Qaeda had a safe place to rest their heads in Afghanistan, thanks to the Taliban government, this radical fundamentalist Islamic state. And so we went in, shock and awe, and we toppled the Afghan government, the Taliban, because they wouldn't give up Al-Qaeda, and we sent Taliban fighters and Al-Qaeda into hiding in the mountains and over the border into Pakistan. Next thing you know, we go into Iraq because reports were from intelligence that Saddam Hussein had, still had, he had had, and he still had, and it was reasonable to assume he still had, chemical weapons, biological weapons. And that because he was saber-rattling against America, he might just give those weapons into the hands of terrorists who would seize on this moment to dogpile on America. American allies, Americans abroad, Americans at home. And so we went in and we kicked his ass too. And we toppled his government too. And as far as it went, I did support, and I still do support, the fact that we went in and we kicked down the doors 
of Saddam Hussein's government in Iraq and the Taliban's government in Afghanistan. I know a lot of people disagree with me. Republican, Democrat, you're free to disagree. There are some, I think, at least fair-minded reasons to disagree. There are lots of not fair-minded. There are lots of ignorant reasons to disagree with me. But nevertheless, I maintain that those were fair fights. I don't feel in the least bit sorry for Saddam Hussein. I understand the argument that toppling Saddam's government in Iraq created a power vacuum, which then provided opportunity for Iran, and that Iran is a major problem. But I think that's a side issue. I think that we could handle the Iraq deal differently, could have handled the Iraq deal differently, and handled the Iran deal differently and better. Handling the Iran power vacuum issue poorly does not mean that we shouldn't have handled Saddam Hussein the way that we did. And we know that Hussein had chemical weapons and that he used those chemical weapons against his own people in a domestic terrorism sort of a way and that he was threatening. So I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad for Saddam Hussein. I don't feel bad for Iraq that we went in and tried to give them a shot at a better government. We tried to give Afghanistan a shot at a better government. But at the same time, the massive amount of blood and treasure that we poured into nation building was misguided. It was foolish from the start. And I never agreed with the nation building. I never agreed with that. It always seemed naive and foolish and a fool's errand because we do not worship the same God. That was my biggest problem with George W. Bush is that his war on terror was supposed to be mitigated by telling supposedly quasi-moderate Muslims around the world that we worship the same God. We Jews and Christians and Muslims, we worship the same God. No, we do not, actually, as a matter of fact. We do not worship the same God, and that is insulting to all parties to say that we worship the same God. If the Muslims worship the same God, then why are they not Christians? Riddle me that, Batman. Ideas have consequences. Doctrine has consequences. What we believe about God and about ourselves goes a long, long way to orienting the way that we relate to one another, the way we relate to politics, which is just the art of making decisions together. The word in the New Testament used for church is ekklesia in the Greek. Ekklesia. Do you know that the ekklesia in ancient Greece was the assembled body of citizens, men to decide on matters pertaining to the city, to make decisions. Hey guys, there's a plague that's broken out in the city again. What are we going to do about it? Let's take a vote. Let's listen to proposals. We'll have an open forum 
anyone can make a proposal, and then we're going to vote as the assembled body of men of the city. We're going to vote on which idea seems best to us to pursue, and that's what we're going to do. Hey, the Persians are invading again. What are we going to do about it? Do we send them an envoy to try and sue for peace, to offer them a tribute? Do we muster the forces, build a navy, oppose them manfully? What do we do? Start organizing allies, assembling an army? What do we do? Well, the ecclesia decided those matters. And so the church, the early church, describing itself, God breathing out the scriptures with this word in the Greek, ekklesia, being used to describe the church, that has major consequences for the way that we approach our political decisions in the West. The Greek and Roman and Jewish and Christian ideas about God and ourselves and man and the universe and nature and reality and purpose and life and the universe and everything, those ideas have major consequences. And now you tell me, how many of those ideas we as Americans, following in the Western tradition, the tradition of Western civilization, nurturing our children in these ideas that we inherit from Athens, from Rome, from Jerusalem? How many of those ideas do we have in common with Kabul and Baghdad? Not many, as it turns out. Not many. This consequence in Kabul was entirely foreseeable, and indeed it was foreseen. The nation-building was a waste of money. This is always the way it was going to turn out, unless, of course, there was a thorough transformation of the thinking, and we persuaded the Afghan people of these Western ideas. See, we thought that we could respect their religious differences and just change their views on government, economics, politics, culture. You can't. <laughs> you can't. For my sphere of influence, my wife's older brother, Brian Duff, served in the Army. He was Army Intelligence and did at least one tour that I know of in Afghanistan. My wife's younger sister's husband, Todd Thomas, also served in the army and did a tour in Iraq in a little outskirt part of Baghdad. My little brother served in the Marine Corps and did a tour in Afghanistan. And all of this <clears throat> around the year 2010, 2005 to 2010, we had Christmas, Thanksgiving, birthdays sometimes at our house because my parents being divorced, Lauren's parents not being set up to entertain and have everyone over, 
Lauren's mother's health being not so good, rehabbing most of the children, all of the children for several years. My wife and I hosted Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, birthdays at our house. We cooked usually most of the food, did most of the entertaining. And it just so happened that when my brother and two brothers-in-law were home on leave from the Army and the Marine Corps, they were over at our house. And lo and behold, the stories start coming out. And for my part, I went a different path. I thought about joining the Air Force at a certain point, and I think that that would have been a lot of fun. I'll put it that way. I think I would have had a lot of fun. But God had other plans for me, and I'm content with the way that things worked out, and my path was getting married to this lovely woman, Lauren. November marks 15 years of marriage for us. That was my mission. And in God's wisdom and goodness, he's blessed us with seven children, an eighth on the way now. And we get the great privilege, the great blessing of raising the next generation. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Well, we're up to multiplying by four. How about them apples? And yet, because I know that these tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan, fighting this war on terror, are psychologically difficult, because I have a grandfather on my mother's side who had nervous breakdowns after World War II when he came home after seeing these horrible things done to human bodies young men who had been sent off to storm those beaches during the Normandy D-Day invasion. I knew that my brother, especially, and to a lesser extent, my brothers-in-law were going to see things that were going to be difficult. And I didn't want to be ignorant about these things. And so the closest I could come to being able to relate to what they had seen and experienced and gone through was studying and researching. And so I endeavored to research quite a lot and to study quite a lot on what was actually happening. What were the roots of this conflict? I read books like Six Days of War, about the Yom Kippur War, which helped me to understand better why does the Muslim world regard the United States of America as the great Satan? Why do they hate us? so much. I read books on the history of Islam. I read books on the Crusades. I read books on the post-war consensus. I read Lawrence of Arabia's book to get a better idea of how the modern Middle East national boundaries came to be in their present state, the conflict that that has brought, Sykes-Picot, I kept up on the news, and what I was trying to do is I was trying to understand why, right? Why is it that they're over there fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq? And where is this going? This isn't going to be over anytime soon. Your war on terror is 
it is a war against fundamentalist Islam. The fundamentalist Islamist folks, they, they read their Quran and it says they're supposed to conquer the world for Islam. So they're trying to do it. And America stands in the way. And so America needs to be taken down. So they're going to fight us tooth and nail. And even the supposedly moderate Muslims, they're playing the long game. And if they're funding this behind the scenes, providing material support, intelligence, propaganda, undermining our cultural, religious, political institutions, economic institutions, then this is a struggle with them as well to maintain Western civilization, to maintain the United States of America on the foundations it was built on. So in reading all of this, I concluded a long, long time ago that this was the way it was going to go. 20 years is a long time, but we're dealing with people who are thinking in centuries or even millennia. They've got the long view and they think they can win in the end. And woe to the vanquished. I remember distinctly talking with my brother and my brothers-in-law about the locals. And to be very, very clear, they had a lot of respect for some of the folks they interacted with. It sounds to me as though there is a very great tradition of hospitality on the part of the folks who were working with our forces, who were concerned about the very same things we were concerned about. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. They were concerned about these radical Islamists, brutal, murderous, bloodthirsty, cruel. They wanted them gone too. And so they were going to work with American forces to hunt these guys down and get them out, eliminate them. And yet, what becomes of those folks now? You need to understand there's a lot of U.S. military veterans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan who lost years of their lives at best, who lost sleep at night for years and years after they came home, who have struggled mightily to readjust to civilian life because of the things that they saw and heard in the night, the things they endured, the things their friends and family endured, they have sacrificed mightily. They saw other men sacrifice everything. They saw other men lose their lives violently, lose their mobility, lose the use of limbs, lose their minds, become broken. And for what? And for what? You need to understand that Obama and Biden snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. What Petraeus was doing was working. And as soon as Petraeus became a threat to Obama, oh, look at that. How convenient. There's a scandal. Just in time. Bye-bye. Obama and Biden did not want to win the war on terror. They went around the Muslim world apologizing. They went around the entire world. They went around the entire world apologizing for American greatness. You want to know why 
Trump was elected in 2016. Thanks, Obama. Thanks, Obama. You created Trump, Obama. The mean tweets were a result of apology tours, anti-American sentiment, radical leftist, radical Muslim sympathizing, if that's what it takes to accomplish the fever dreams of Howard Zinn and Saul Alinsky, radical leftist community organizing at the very highest levels of American government. Sabotage. Treachery. And so I don't look at Biden blaming Trump and give it any credit at all whatsoever. I don't think for one thing that Trump would have handled this and allowed this to be handled in the way and manner that Biden has allowed it to. I think Biden has wanted this to be a disaster and debacle so he could blame Trump for it. What Trump was doing might have worked because there was a show of strength that reinforced the deals that Trump was making. Biden is lucky to put two brain cells together and come up with a coherent thought. Biden is lucky to finish a sentence, much less two in a row. So the Taliban, they have no respect for us. They don't fear us. They don't respect us. China doesn't fear us, and they don't respect us. Iran does not fear us, and they don't respect us. Russia does not fear us, and they don't respect us. North Korea does not fear us, and they do not respect us. And if you want to blame Trump, then blame Obama and Biden for Trump. Because Obama and Biden, undermining American power at home and abroad, radically trying to pull at the seams of the very fabric of reality, lighting up the White House in rainbow colors to celebrate Pride Month. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Destroying the institution of marriage. There's a nation of veterans who saw their friends, their loved ones, their battle buddies come home missing limbs, missing parts of their faces. And even if they were for all outward appearances, as good as new, better than ever, inside they were broken people. And they went home and they tried to be mothers and fathers and husbands and wives. And they are still broken people on the inside. And for what? And for what? For Democrats to try and pursue their radical leftist agenda? to try and make America into the images that we see this morning coming out of Afghanistan. Right? Tell me the difference between Antifa and the Taliban, between Black Lives Matter and the Taliban, or ISIS. How in the hell do we go and spend 20 years and trillions of dollars and how many American lives, and I'm not just talking lives lost. You can't measure the cost that our service members paid to defend this country and our way of life. Our men and women paid a terrible cost. As far as I'm concerned, Barack Obama and Joe Biden pissed on it in every way they possibly could. And now 
what? You bring these troops home from Afghanistan and then you send them right back again because our embassy is surrounded, because you bungled the withdrawal of our forces, of our personnel, because you didn't anticipate, because a month ago you were telling reporters that there's no way that 300,000 Afghan military personnel and police men are going to roll over for 100,000 Taliban fighters. There's no way you didn't see this coming. But then again, you don't see the end of your next sentence coming either. Here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Uh, there it goes. Lord have mercy on us. This is judgment. We can blame Biden. We can blame Obama. We can blame Trump. We can blame George W. You can blame Afghani tribesmen. You can blame the Taliban. You can blame Al-Qaeda. You can blame Saddam Hussein. You can blame all the people you want to. But at the end of the day, we created this. We created this situation. And just like the Taliban taking over Afghanistan is a reflection of what is in the hearts and minds of the Afghan people, the person and people who occupy the highest levels of power in the United States of America right now, by hook or by crook, are representative of our appetites or lack thereof. I pray to God for this country, for the United States of America, because this is my home. This is where I'm from. This is where my wife and children live. This is where my friends and family live. This is where my countrymen live. This is where we live. Where else do we go? This is our country. We can't let it go down like these paper tiger empty uniforms in Afghanistan are letting their country go down. It's not going to go down like that. That's all I've got for this episode. Sorry to be such a killjoy, but it's not over till the fat lady sings. She might be humming and warming up her vocal cords, but it ain't over. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. <laughs>